0: Good morning again, everyone. So good to see you all. Again, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church Arlington. And this morning, we are beginning again to walk through the Gospel of John. We just finished kind of like a four-week introduction of sorts, and now we get John's introduction to the Gospel of John. And so it's another introduction, lots of introductions, because this is a book-worthy of introductions. This is one of the four gospels and it is the one that does not fit in with the others. It's like the punk rock alt version of the gospels. And it's that because it was written almost certainly by the disciple John and John was in the inner ring of Jesus's disciples. So out of the 12 there was 3 James, Peter, and John, who Jesus really kind of took in and revealed more intimately of himself and befriended. And so John has a unique perspective because of that relationship, but then also the timing that this gospel was written in offers a unique relationship because it was the last gospel written chronologically. And so one of the benefits is that John had the other three gospels, and he understood what those authors were trying to do by showing different kind of like angles of the life and teaching of Jesus. And he was able to kind of say, okay, here's what needs to be said after those things. And so he fills in a lot of the gaps in the fullness that the other gospels left, not because they're incomplete of themselves, but just because Jesus, the focus of the gospels, the subject of the biographies is such a complex and important figure that it requires all four of them to actually get a full picture of who he was and what he did. And John was writing to a first century audience that was made up of Jewish people and Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And you can tell that he's paying attention to both of those audiences And he has something to say to both of those audiences. And so he's very careful in the words that he chooses. He's very intentional about how he phrases things. And he's very intentional about how he structures the entire work. And the work as a whole is meant to be read with the horizon of the cross always in mind. The gospel really moves towards the cross, and it's structured with miracles and signs and periods of Jesus teaching and explaining the miracles and the signs, and then the climax is the passion, the life or the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, the first century audience had an advantage that we don't have, and their advantage was that this was all very fresh and new. They didn't have thousands of years of teaching and familiarity with the events of Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection. And so this was kind of like a buzz around town. Everyone was talking about it. What did it mean that Jesus was crucified, he was dead, and now there's a bunch of people saying that he's alive, that he rose from the grave, and that he continues to live and is ascended at the right hand of the Father, what does that mean? And so the Gospel of John is written, as we learned a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Jeff was preaching on John 20, the Gospel of John is written so that the audience, the hearers, the readers, would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, and by believing might have eternal life in him and so he starts at the beginning with what's the most important thing and the most important thing that he wants to put up at the very front is very simple it's that Jesus is God it's very simple that's the most important thing that you should understand when you try to understand who Jesus is and this is where we, don't, we are kind of at a disadvantage because we're like, oh yeah, that wild." Jesus is God at a Christian church, I'm shocked, right? But I want to maybe challenge us to think that maybe we don't actually believe that in the way that John wants us to believe that. And I was thinking about this when it came to Um, recently in the Super Bowl commercial, forgive me for opening this up, up this can of worms, but the he gets us commercial, right? This has kind of created a little bit of controversy um, in certain areas of the interwebs. Um, And I'm not going to dive into all of that. But it just got me thinking and reflecting, like, we're talking more about the commercial and what it says about culture or society and what we should probably be talking more about is who it is that gets us. Who is the one that's portrayed as getting us? And why does it matter that he gets us? Why does it matter? And so I would say that John, the gospel of John, and this first just two verses answers that question of who it is and why it matters. So you can turn there with me. We're going to be just in those first two verses of the prologue or the introduction to the Gospel of John, and we're going to be walking through this over the course of about four weeks to get through kind of all that John has to say by way of introduction of the Gospel of John. And um, if you're not familiar with where that is in the Bible, you can just turn to the index and find it, but it's the last of the Gospels. It's probably like five-sixths of the way through your Bible, so it's towards the back in the New Testament. And this is John 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your Word. We know that apart from it, we have no hope of knowing you. And Lord, that you don't just give us your word and leave us to our own devices, but you have also given of your spirit to open up our eyes, to open up our minds, to bring conviction in our hearts. And so God, we ask that you would work through your word and by your spirit that we might be moved to treasure you. That we might see the depths of who you are as you have revealed yourself to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's a mouthful, it's so simple that it just blows our minds when you actually slow down to think and read and meditate on what is contained here. And so we're going to try and slow it down a little bit and just break it up into the words that John chooses to use. So first we're going to look at the word. Word. The word word. That's what we're going to look at first. And then second, what does it mean when he says God and with God? And then finally, in the beginning. So those are kind of the three basic categories that you have to have a grasp of in order to start understanding what John is trying to communicate here with us this morning. So first, we're going to start with his decision to use that word, word, as a way of describing Jesus. Now, you have to remember that original hearers or readers of this gospel would have Maybe an inkling that this gospel was about Jesus of Nazareth, but we just know it, and we assume it, and so we kind of blow right past maybe the significance of John using this word to describe who was in the beginning, and who was God, and who was with God. And word is the Greek word logos, so it's one of the Greek words that most people, if you've been around a church for a while, you've probably heard it before. It's the original, logos is the original word that John used to describe what we translate as word. And it had a significance to both a Jewish audience, and it had a significance to a Gentile or a Greek audience. And those different significances are actually complementary. They fill out everything that John is trying to convey by describing this person as word, as the word. And so in kind of a Jewish framework, in a Hebrew way of thinking, the word is a revelation of God's will. God is a God who speaks in the Old Testament. So the word, God's word, is a revelation of who God is and what he wants to have happen in his world. And as it does that, it also expresses God's power. Because nowhere in the Old Testament, when God speaks, does what he speaks not come to pass? So in other words, what God says happens. And you can think of kind of the context that John is wanting us to access here. In the beginning, it was Genesis 1-1, the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? Speaking. His power was contained in his voice. And so there's this self-revelation of God's will that there would be something rather than nothing and a revelation of his power that he was able to make something out of nothing. And so that's kind of the Jewish background of the word. Now the Greek background is similar but it's a little bit different. So in Greek thought, in their philosophy, they love to think about things. What they would do is they would create these abstractions, they would create these principles that they saw as kind of governing the existence of all things, including their gods. And so one of these principles, these abstract ideas, was the logos, the logic the ordering principle of everything that is. So these Greek philosophers were able to kind of look at the world and they said, okay, there's an order, there's a structure, there's a reason, there's an intelligence behind all of this, and they called that thing, if you can call it a thing, it's not really a thing, that idea, the logos. And John's aware of that. It's this principle of order. But there's also a universal background to the word. It's human at its most basic level. John is being so gentle and careful that every single person can grasp what he's saying because every single person understands what it is to talk, to have words. And I think when we understand it from this perspective is when we really start to plumb the depths of what John is communicating here. Because we know that we have words. Where do we have them? Well, internally. Words before we speak them are inside of us. They belong to us, and yet they're distinct from us. Our words aren't us, but they reveal who we are. You can't know someone unless they reveal themselves through words. And so there's an analogy here that John is developing to help us understand who it is that was in the beginning. And it's this one who was the word. Whose word? The word of God. So it's this one who was dwelling with God before anything existed who is so close to God that he's identified with his very word. So now we're starting to see the mysteries here. That in the beginning was the word. Now the second thing that we're going to look at is his identification of the word as with God and the word was God. So first, we're going to start with this claim That this Word was God. This Word was God. So this is a core tenet of the Christian faith. That this Gospel that's about Jesus of Nazareth is actually about God. The Word was God. So, as you think of God and all things not God which is kind of how you should think about the universe, there's God and there's all things not God, what John is doing is he's placing Jesus of Nazareth on the side of God. So the creator and creature distinction, we're talking now, this gospel, it's about the creator, not the creature. This means that Jesus even though in his flesh, as he walked and lived in a human body, that human body was created by God. He had a pre-existing existence as the eternal son. Very God of very God. It means that as God, Jesus shares fully in all that is attributable to the godhead his substance is the same as god the father he's equal in power and in glory as the westminster larger confession states it there are three persons within this godhead and yet there is one god yeah so now we're in over our heads we don't understand all of how that can be true, and that's because God is transcendent. But that's very clearly what John intends to be communicating. And I want to speak really quickly about um, alternate interpretations of this, because maybe you've come into, you know, into some proximity to these as people come to your door and knock on your door, and they want to tell you about God. And you're like, oh, this is, this is good. But then as you get into it, you realize that they see Jesus as someone who was created, a very highly created, firstborn of all creation even, but created nonetheless. That the Son of God is not himself, Yahweh God. And they'll go to this verse because they know that this is one of the clearest points in all of the Bible that explicitly says that Jesus is God And they'll say, well, it's missing the definite article. And this is getting into the weeds of Greek grammar. I'm not going to bore you with that. But just know that that argument is basically like saying, oh, because you used an apostrophe S instead of writing out is, that that has some huge significance to the meaning that's being communicated. It's like, no, that was just a common way of expressing things. And in fact... Leaving off the definite article, so the definite article basically says this is not a God, this is the God. There's no the in the original text. But leaving it off, John is drawing attention to the fact that the word is God. Because he's putting logos and theos in proximity to each other. As you look at it and as you read it. Word, God, they're right next to each other. And so actually what John's trying to do is he's trying to show you that the Word is God, not a God of many, but the one true God. The Word is God. And then the Word was with God. The Word was with God, so the Word is God, and now the Word was with God. This is confusing, isn't it? What's going on here? Well, the word with is a translation of a preposition that is usually translated as towards. The word was towards God. Now, you have to kind of think of this concretely to understand what that means. When you consider two separate entities and you see them and they're facing each other and they're staying with each other, There's a withness and a towardsness of those two things. And so what John is trying to communicate by saying that the word was towards God is that there's a rich fellowship. They are close in proximity and in intimacy. And so one of the things that we receive from this opening is that in the beginning, before the beginning, beyond the beginning of all things, there was this rich, relational life of the triune God. There was a fullness that existed. Between these three persons of one God, there was love expressed and received. It means that God doesn't need anything, that he is completely self-existing, self-sufficient in the blessedness and fellowship of the three in one. We can't add anything to him, and we can't take anything away from that. This is is an eternal love that is contained in this relation between Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's really important because otherwise for God to be love he would have needed something because love goes out. Love is expressed and received. And so as soon as God needs the creation he's dependent. He's contingent. He depends on his creation. And so the creation can let him down. But John says that this God was self-contained, self-existing. There's a fullness there. So that's what it means, what, what John is trying to convey about the Word being God and with God. He's, there's a triune reality that he's just starting to pull on, and he'll develop it through the rest of the gospel. So if you don't Yet, even have any clue, join the club. But reading the Gospel of John will help you with that. And it's essential to understanding, even as you see glimpses of Jesus' prayer life, what it means when he calls out to God as Father and talks about the oneness he has with the Father and about how he wants that oneness to go out to his people and to bring everyone into that richness and that fullness. You can remember That in the beginning, he was God, and he was with God. And then finally, we're going to talk about in the beginning. These last words. In the beginning. So I think we immediately think about chronology. We immediately think about like, okay, there was a point in time where things started. And that is true. But... What John is doing is he's not just talking about chronology, but he's talking about the purpose that is embedded within that chronology. He's saying that the whole purpose of everything that exists begins and ends with this word. The word is the purpose of all things. You find your fulfillment, your being in the Word. And I think that this speaks to us, specifically a world and a culture and people that ask the question okay, so what? So far, this is all just kind of like very heady. And, you know, there's a lot of theology here, but so what? Why does this matter? And when John tells us that. This is the beginning. And it's not only the beginning, but it's the end. It's the alpha and the omega of everything. It changes how we think about this text. It changes how we think about what we have here. Because this isn't now something that is going to help us um, improve our lives, primarily. Instead, what we have is we have a gospel that dictates everything about our life. It's like when you think about there's a famous quote and we'll get to it actually later in the prologue about the sun. You don't look directly at the sun, but you look at everything else by the light of the sun. You're going to look at everything in your life through the word through this revelation, this self-revelation of who God is, through this Alpha and Omega. And I think that this is specifically prophetic to us because I just know for myself, it's so easy to disconnect kind of like the religious part of my life from the normal day-to-day, everyday rat race of Northern Virginia part of my life. It's like, how... Does John 1, 1, and 2 help me when I'm sitting in traffic on 395? How does that help me? How does it help me when I have student loans that are crippling and that I don't actually know if I will ever be able to pay them off? How does it help me when my world is falling apart? How does it help me in times of grief? How does it help me in times of want? How does it help me in times of celebration and in prosperity? And it helps you because it's saying that the entire purpose of all of those things is contained in the revelation of this word. And remember, the Gospel of John is meant to be read in light of the cross, in light of the passion, in light of the impending death and resurrection of Jesus. And so think about this. This one who was with God and was God who is the beginning and end of all things he took on human flesh and he intentionally walked towards his death this is like the reverse space jam where michael jordan leaves behind and takes on limitations like, how is this going to work out? The word became flesh and walked among us. And he did that because he had perfectly diagnosed what was wrong with the world, with you, with me. And it was that there was no light in the world he had created anymore. Darkness had taken over. That sin had marred this good creation. That the revelation of God as a loving and good creator had been twisted and made to see him as a jealous, angry tyrant. And so the word took on flesh, was publicly crucified, took on our sin, and rose from the grave to overcome death. And now it's really important that Jesus is God. Because if he is your sacrifice, if he is the one that stands in your place for all of the sin that you have ever committed, for every single evil thought, word, deed, every missed opportunity to obey God, if he is your substitute for the just punishment that a righteous, all-knowing, all-powerful God owes for that, then he has to be God. If he's just an angel, he can't cover your sin. If he's just the highest created being, he can't cover the depth of sin. The sacrifice isn't worth enough. But if he is God, and he is, then his death is so much more powerful than the darkness of our sin. The price that was paid so far outweighs the price owed that there's an infinite remainder And so, for John to start here and call our attention immediately to the fact that Jesus is God, for the Jew, it's the one you crucified is Yahweh. And for the Greek, the one you crucified was not an abstract principle. But it was God. It disrupts every single worldview that is, exists. And you're left wondering what next? And that's the purpose. That's the purpose that John is writing with. He's wanting to draw us in, he's wanting to show us that there is no better use of our time than to meditate than to seek to answer that question, who is Jesus of Nazareth? Who it is that gets us? So much so that without it, we're hopeless. So even if you invested early on in Amazon, but you don't know and trust this word, you have nothing. And even if you have a great marriage, a great family, great kids, the perfect life that you've always wanted, but you don't know and trust this word, you have nothing. If you have great physical and mental health, you're in the best shape of your life, you're happy, you're fulfilled, and you don't know and trust this word, You have nothing. But, if you don't have a single cent to your name and all you have is debt, but you know and trust this word, you have everything. If you have a marriage that's fallen apart and a family that's fractured and at war with each other, but you know and you trust this word, You have everything. And if you are filled with sickness and illness, and your mind is a torture chamber for your soul, but you know this word, and you trust this word, you have everything. Because in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all that we can see, all that we get distracted with, all that we wish we had, all that we abandon God for, it's going to fade like the flower. And our lives are going to wither like grass, but this word, the word that was in the beginning, will stand forever. Please pray with me. Father, it is um, such a privilege to have your word opened up to us by your spirit, that these simple truths open up our minds and help us to consider the depths of who you are that we will never come to the ends of, Lord. And so God, I ask that as we enter into this time of meditating and thinking and getting to know your son through this gospel, I ask that you would help us, Lord, that you would help us to treasure your word, that you would help us to see it for what it really is, that you are revealing yourself to us, you're revealing your heart to us. You are showing us who you are, and that, God, when we see that, we have everything. Lord, help us to believe and to trust, to follow you. Help us to have our minds refined and sharpened by your simple and plain truths of who you are. Lord, help us to fend off every doubt, every sin, every temptation by seeing your value, your beauty, your richness. And God, help us to have our eyes fixed on you as we seek to love well the people around us. Help us to be messengers that are sent into this world with this word. Help us to take great joy in seeing opportunities to open up the depths of who you are with other people. God, we thank you and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.